How to be alone. There are states of being alone. Some are good, some are not. What matters is being alone productively, making solitariness something to put to our advantage. Is it something that can really be creative, enabling, useful? Can one like being alone? Can it mean more than just, I'm fed up with my family and friends and need a break? Can it actually teach us how to relate to and deal with others? Many people would not think so. In the 21st century, it sometimes seems as if there is a prohibition on being on one's own, as if it were the worst kind of condition, something devoutly not to be wished. With our moments of solitude best filled by methods of communication with others, phoning, texting, emailing, and so on. But it can be the most valuable of all states of being. We should not let Facebook, which allows us to network even when we are on our own, destroy solitude. We should work at being alone. Finding the still center of yourself is at the center of many spiritual and philosophical systems. And certainly being on one's own is at the heart of the experience of the Romantic period in European philosophy, poetry, and arts. From Jean-Jacques Rousseau's Reverie of the Solitary Walker to Caspar David Friedrich's Titanic painting Wanderer Above the Sea of Fog. Wordsworth's Daffodils, that most famous of Romantic-era poems, begins and ends in meditation on solitude. Wordsworth's focus is on happy isolation. Being alone is something which enlivens his mind, fires his imagination, and informs his poetic work. Wordsworth teaches us to value solitude. When he says in the first line that he wanders lonely as a cloud, Wordsworth's simile, the comparison being between himself and a single cloud in the sky, might imply that he is missing his wife Mary, or his sister Dorothy, or even his friend and poetic collaborator, S.T. Coleridge, with whom he had produced the lyrical ballads of 1798, a landmark volume in the history of modern poetry. If so, the poem enacts a recovery from this state of negativity. The poem has been called a crisis lyric, dealing with the response to a state of loss or anxiety. And if so, then the poem enacts learning to love and appreciate solitude. But the most compelling reading of the poet's state of mind in uttering these opening words is that he means he is on his own. And that state, for him, was often his most productive. Not for nothing. Later in the poem, does Wordsworth refer to the bliss of solitude. Time on our own can be something exalted, productive, giving. Modern life needs more useful solitude, and we, like Wordsworth, should actively seek it. Though his beloved wife and sister would frequently help in the act of transcription and the preparation of fair copies for the press, much of Wordsworth's creativity was manifested in solitary composition. The poet would frequently compose walking alone, mumbling or with rhythmic humming, bumming was the risible North Country phrase, in a manner seen by some bystanders as peculiar. Testimony to this was found in Reverend Hardwick Drummond Roundsley's reminiscences of Wordsworth among the peasantry of Westmoreland. Ronsley, one of the founders of the National Trust, had another smart idea. In preserving memories of the great man among the local, unlettered population who had known him as a fellow in his middle and old age, 
with fascinating and sometimes comical results. For instance, a gardener at Wordsworth's home, Rydal Mount, in the Lake District, where the poet lived from 1813 and died in 1850, describes the scene of writing to Canon Roundsley. He was terrible thronged with visitors and folks, you must know at times, but if he could get away from them for a spell, he was out upon his great walk, and then he would set his head a bit forward and put his hands behind his back. And then he would start a bumming, and it was bum, 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 stop, then bum, 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 right down till the other end, and then he'd set down and get a bit of paper out and write a bit, and then he'd get up and bum, 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 and go on bumming for long enough right down and back again. I suppose, concludes the sage horticulturist, the bumming helped him out a bit. The point is clear. Wordsworth actively sought his own company, away from the terrible throng, apart from visitors and folks, and being on his own was enlightening and productive of his best work. An imagination is work in the best sense. We must not automatically think of being on our own as something negative, lonely in the forlorn sense. Too often it is seen as such, as the negative overtones associated with the word solitariness testify. The state of being is generally seen as close to isolation, a word with which solitariness shared linguistic roots and is generally seen as a state to avoid rather than to cherish. But it is something to seek out, even for the busiest people. But get a bit of paper with you and write a bit, recording, like the sage of Rydal, the imaginative fruits of being alone. The familiarity of this poem should not prevent us from appreciating its singularity. What Wordsworth is doing is endorsing the act of being on one's own, celebrating its potency. The event on which it is based was described by his sister Dorothy in her journal entry for April 1802. When we were in the woods beyond Gowborough Park, we saw a few daffodils close to the waterside. We fancied that the lake had floated the seeds ashore and that the little colony had so sprung up. But as we went along, there were more and yet more, and at last under the boughs of the trees, we saw that there was a long belt of them along the shore, about the breadth of a country turnpike road. I never saw daffodils so beautiful. They grew among the mossy stones about, and about them some rested their heads upon these stones, as on a pillow for weariness, and the rest tossed and reeled and danced, and seemed as if they verily laughed with the wind that blew upon them over the lake. They looked so gay, ever glancing, ever changing. Wordsworth mined this account in his poem, which was written two years later, even to the point of borrowing some of Dorothy's terminology but he removed her from the scene. While Wordsworth's dear, dear sister features in a series of tender moments in his poems from Tintern Abbey downwards, she is left out of daffodils because Wordsworth has something urgent which he needs to say about the utility of being alone. It was something he cherished. Living in a small house, dove cottage with lots of people in attendance, wife, sister, servants, and a growing family, it was perhaps not surprising he valued solitude when it was available to him. But it is more than a mere choice. It is one of the wellsprings from which his creativity emerges.
Wordsworth's words resonate into our lives as well as his own. Our relations with others should be strengthened and deepened by occasional periods of solitariness and self-introspection. If we cannot learn from ourselves, who else can we learn from? Wordsworth knew this and accurately described the mind of man in his poem, Home at Grasmere, as my haunt and the main region of my song. And not just any old mind, Wordsworth's own singular mind. Thinking about himself, learning from himself, knowing himself, these are the keys to Wordsworth's own particular brand of romantic thought. But at the same time, Wordsworth was always acutely aware that the thinking about self should always be linked to thinking about others. In that great poem, Tintern Abbey, Wordsworth's blank verse meditation on nature and human life, which closes the lyrical ballads, the book composed with Coleridge, published in Bristol, and it's worth repeating, a work often seen as marking the start of modern British and American poetic culture, Wordsworth says that in contemplating nature and his own imagination, he was hearing always what he called the still, sad music of humanity. Wordsworth has mistakenly been called a solipsist, not in the formal philosophical sense of that term, the view or theory that the self is all that can be known to exist, as the Oxford English Dictionary puts it, but in the wider sense, as the quality, again, in the OED's definition of being self-centred or selfish. Certainly some of his contemporaries saw him as a narrow-minded, self-obsessed individual. He was no such thing. His thoughts deal with the music of humanity, a wonderful phrase which indicates that Wordsworth's song joins a mightier chorus. Learning about ourselves helps us to learn about others. Understanding ourselves helps us to empathize with and to understand others. I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud by William Wordsworth I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze, continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not but be gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft, when on my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills, and dances with the daffodils. <laughs>